0: It's like I told Win after the first two years. You hired me for what's about to come. Because what's about to come is the hard part. That's your boy. That's your judge of character. I don't know if I could follow that one up. Khalil Herbert is everything we dreamed of and more. Pete, nobody's looking <laughs> at your tweets.
1: I love our guys. I love where we're going and what we're doing. We cannot
0: stop fighting the good
1: fight. I'm going to end up in a Columbia prison. I'm yelling into the void and that's
0: what I like doing. (laughs) Get you somebody that
1: loves spruce tips as much as Pete does.
0: Why did I pick to cover 14 points against NC State? I'm warm. Do we need
1: to get better? You bet. And is that my responsibility?
0: 100%. I want to know what you're drinking, Rob. It is
1: roasty goodness even though I was out What's the percent on that? 11.
0: Smells like you're drinking like solution. We're gonna put this old guy in a grave. The end has already been written. We just got to go through the hard part to get there. And I mow the lawn
1: after work before the podcast.
0: Welcome to Two Deep. Hokies under the influence. Brought to you by Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer. Virginia Tech lost to Notre Dame, thirty-two to twenty-nine. That was a tough one to take the other night, Robbie. Kick this thing off. Try to bring our spirits up with the cheers. <laughs> well,
1: you give me a tall order, so. Um, no cheers as always to the things that, that don't, and haven't gone away and haven't changed about Virginia Tech football and, and Blacksburg in general. Um, this was, uh, my only time heading back to campus this, um, this season and it was everything I could have imagined. A lot of new restaurants, uh, opening up breweries, opening up downtown, the atmosphere downtown was awesome. So we got to spend some time down there, um, grab some good food. The game atmosphere was awesome. The tailgates were were great. Um I got to see a uh you know a big fan of the podcast Basil. Um a guy that uh you know sends us emails all the time and we got to meet up in person and and have a beer and hang out. And the atmosphere in the game was incredible. It was really really loud. Um you know almost deafening at times. And you know the kickoff was good. People were loud all the way to the end of the game, honestly. You know, through the ebbs and the flows, and the good calls and the bad calls, it was it was awesome. So, outside of the results of the game, which we'll get into detail here, everything that I love about Blacksburg, about Hokie football, all holds and rings true when you go back and visit, and really reinvigorates you into the program even more so than you know whether you win or or lose on a given night. So, we'll give a cheers to that.
0: Yeah, man, cheers to that. There were two main things I wanted to ask you about. One was how loud was the stadium when Waller got the pick six? Because when I go to games and have gone to games, especially in college and in that student section, and we used to get a block punt or a defensive touchdown. I feel like those are the loudest times in the stadium.
1: Yeah. It's hard to tell. I have a funny story about that exact moment. So I'm sitting down for that play. Somebody stands up in front of me and Uh, They're standing up at the moment, so I'm watching it on the big screen. My wife's standing, and I think I was grabbing a sip of water or something like that. So I'm watching it on the big screen, and I'm, like, dialed into the big screen. So I see the pic on the big screen as everybody kind of explodes around me, and I can still see the jumbotron. So I got to, like, experience it from not being up just, like, screaming because when you're yelling, you can't really hear how loud it is, and it was deafening in there and that's awesome so my wife thought i missed the play so she she's like grabbing my arm she's like you did you see what happened i said yeah i'm, look, I'm looking at the jumbotron I'm looking i saw the whole thing she thought i missed the entire play with the pick six it's like no i saw it all perfectly clearly um and that was it was just awesome so uh people people went absolutely crazy for that
0: that's great the other thing i wanted to ask you about was you got um You did a lot of walking around. You did a lot of tailgating. You said you met up with Bezel, which is really cool. And then uh, you did a little tour of the facilities that you posted to our Instagram account.
1: Yeah, so the Ohio State game was on at noon, so we went over to Mellow Mushroom because it's usually pretty... I've gone there enough times. It's pretty quiet there for the day games. My wife wanted to watch Ohio State, so it was around noon. So we sat down. uh, We were there for probably two and a half hours, and... That's the picture. One of the pictures you see on there is the table next to us. Uh, Bruce Smith is sitting there. So, nice. well, right next to us. And a couple of people came over and interrupted them during their lunch and took a picture with them. And my wife's jabbing me in the arm, telling me to get a picture with them. And I didn't do it because I'm one of those people that don't like. I, I don't know i i don't want to interrupt somebody when they're like having lunch or having dinner i feel bad about yeah, it even that. the even the time Whit babcock i saw down um for the bowl game um and when i went when i saw him i waited for him and his family to like finish eating them all go to the bathroom he stood up and i like caught him right before he left because i didn't want to interrupt their meal to, to say hello so that was that was awesome so i got to sneak a side picture of of him and then we went and did a tour so um one of the uh fundraisers for the hokey club uh i've gotten to know over time and, and being a donor uh invited me to come check out the facilities and really see you know where we're putting our money the resources that and the infrastructure that we're trying to put in place for the players for our recruiting and all those sorts of things so i did probably about a 45 minute maybe an hour tour of all um, the, the whole facility. And it was, it was incredible. We went down to the weight room. They had everything. They had the practice field all marked off for the, um, pyrotechnics and the fireworks that were going to go. We went up to the, uh, the dining lounge, which is gorgeous. It has an awesome view that you can see in some of the pictures of the fields. And, um, you know, some of the hallways we popped over to castle and saw from the entrance, um, where you go over from, Really, Jamerson into uh, right into the Castle Coliseum. From there, that was that was really cool, and it was awesome. I I'd, I'd never been in there. I got to see the Commonwealth uh, Cup up close and uh, a few different things. It was it was honestly that, really nice nice tour around and getting to see the facilities and what we're what we're building out there.
0: I really like the pictures of the weight room and the uh, the new nutrition center yep. hangout area to eat and stuff. That looked really nice and hopefully is a good selling point. I mean, if if you've been up there, like if you saw that at 18 years old, I'm sure you'd be pretty impressed.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so they had the stats were somewhere around 200 recruits to show up um, today or for the game, uh, somewhere around there. That's a lot. Yeah, it was was supposed to be a ton. Um, And most of those were unofficial visits. The vast majority were going to be unofficial visits um, with some being official visits. And so I got to see some of the play, some of the potential recruits walking around and checking out the facilities and taking pictures, which was really awesome. And um, overall, it everything to me, um, you know, reached kind of the level that you would expect of a top twenty-five program. I don't imagine that I would see anything that coming in as a recruit. I'd be like, eh, you know, that could be nicer, or this could be cooler, and all those sorts of things. And you know, I came away um after the discussion with um you know the hokey uh club guy that, that I know pretty well with really two two things that he was trying to articulate is you know the dining facility, if those that have seen and you probably have seen pictures of the old Bowman facility of where they used to dine, that thing was a like a wreck. If you remember the the nasty carpets that they had, the tables with like what looked like folding chairs that they had lined up there. Yeah. It was Bad. So uh, that upgrade, I think, was money very well spent. It's gorgeous now. And then the second piece that they don't have right now, they don't have a um, an athlete's kind of like facility, or like a, a room for them um, with you know Xboxes and games and you know with all the stuff, all the fun stuff that the like Constance a full on lounge. Yeah, the players' lounge is that that most of the big time programs have. Um, so that's really the next goal for them and I think they're starting to get the money together and get that built out but that's the real big need that they have right now and the one thing kind of the one remaining thing I think from a facility standpoint that stood out to me just because and it doesn't have to be have a, a slide and waterfalls and you know all the crazy stuff but yeah. I think there's table stakes. A couple
0: stakes. pool tables, yeah, Xboxes.
1: Yeah. yeah, there's table stakes that I think that we need to achieve on that front. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that's something that I was thinking about because what he was really trying to do is, uh, you know, if I want to, you know, down the road when I get older whatever the case may be, donate to the program. You know, they have rooms like the cornerback's room isn't, doesn't have a name on it. The safety's room, they have their own room, doesn't have a name on it. Like these are things that if you're close to it, and you have resources and you want to sponsor and have your name associated or, you know, put on the door, whatever the case may be, you can invest behind. And I think, you know, I'm kind of a nerd, but like a player's lounge is something that I would be willing to kind of put money into and have, you know, be part of the fundraising effort for that. That kind of hits home close to me, maybe just because I play Xbox still and I'm <laughs> I'm coming up on 40 years old. But it's it's those sorts of things that I, I, th- I can see why people latch on to what their interests are and what they're trying to do. Maybe you're a big food person. So you wanted to kind of, you know, get it behind the dining facility or something along those lines. So you could, you can kind of pick what your contribution could be and have it be more meaningful than just writing a check and just having it go out the door. So overall, a very I, large
0: check. Yeah, might add. Yeah. Well, uh,
1: a lot of those are fundraisers of not just one donor. It's usually mm-hmm. multiple donors mm-hmm. and, and the, uh, the lead donors, the one that ends up getting their, their name on the door over the case, may be. But the point being is, you know, of everything I saw, I thought that was the, and I didn't see that, obviously, because it's not there. That's the one piece that I think that we need to really round out. Whether you think that is important to you or not, it's definitely something that's important to the players um, or the recruits, I should say, coming in. Just being able to see themselves in a social atmosphere that just isn't tied to you know, practices or, or fill in their stomachs.
0: Yep. Yeah. And that is very cool that you got to do that tour. And it kind of was a reminder of that everything that goes into tech in terms of the money and the facilities, we, we're we focused on this season and right now and the future of our coach. Um, and it's a much bigger picture for the people that work there and for the improvements that are made. And because it's going to last a lot longer than this regime or the, the next four years for a player. It's, it's eight. It's 12 years that they're trying to invest in here. It took that
1: moment to really have me think about it. You know, sitting, walking around. All this stuff's going on. There's game planning going on. They're trying to figure out the personnel. That, and then... There's recruiting stuff happening. They're trying to take people through the facility, show them, get guys on campus so they can fall in love with it. Yeah, what a crazy day. And then there's another piece of these people that are not operating on one- or two-year plans. They're operating, like you said, on 10-, 15-, 20-year plans of the infrastructure for
0: athletics and football for for Virginia Tech. For example, giving you a tour, someone that... May donate next year or may donate in ten years. You know, they, they decided that you being a valued Hokie club member to give you that tour that day for the future investment of it. Yeah. So um, which I that is that is an interesting way to look at it. We do need to talk about the Notre Dame game. Yep. So we're gonna have to get into that in a second. Before we do, we're just gonna give our news and notes. Not much to talk about in the A P poll. We did not receive any votes uh we <laughs> Because of the loss, and that's okay. Just one vote for Pitt, which I thought was kind of interesting because they've had a good start. Wake moved up to 16, and NC State is at 22. The big college football news in general of the weekend was that it was a great weekend. Like yeah. in terms of the games, you had Red River, which was wild. Bama lost to AM. I'm still shocked by that. Iowa came back, beat Penn State. Uh, just an awesome day. Arkansas Ole Miss was wild. I uh that I really thought we were going to be right on with that Texas be- beating OU thing until the end there. <laughs> yeah, and you had
1: I think Michigan um you know coming back right at the end and and taking and stealing it away. I didn't get to see any of the games. Uh, all I saw was on the that video is the board.
0: downside of going to the game is that you miss a lot of action. I was, And I had a wedding, so it's not like I saw a whole lot more than you, but I was on the phone, and before we went, I was watching stuff. But uh really crazy day, and I've listened to all the recaps and, and watched some games on replay. And the takeaway is even Bama is not impenetrable this year. They struggled against Florida. They just lost to a team that I did not think there was any way they were going to lose to. I know the game was on the road. But Texas A&M has looked horrible, and that quarterback played the game of his life.
1: Yeah, it was. I think I heard last week going into the game, ninety three percent or something along those lines of the bets were on Alabama. and Ninety six percent of the money was on Alabama.
0: Ooh, that's I, a which, lot of lost money. <laughs> I couldn't. I thought.
1: I thought whoever was saying that was you know, misspeaking and had it wrong. But Bud Elliott was the one that kind of chimed in with the, how much, what the money was
0: on it. I'm Pretty sure yeah. it was him on the podcast I was listening to. So a lot of people took it on the chin. Yeah. Yeah. And you had mentioned the Heisman odds before we started recording tonight. And that's another thing that pretty much no one has a clue on. There's, there's some favorites. Obviously you have to have someone with the highest odds, but it's anyone's game at this point.
1: Yeah. You got Bryce Young at, you know plus 185 Matt Corral at plus 210 and then it jumps to CJ Stroud at plus 1000 Kenneth Walker Michigan State's running back Bijan Robinson Texas running back and then you get what well, you and I were talking about you have you have at plus 4000 and I joked around with you about potentially laying a bet on this Spencer Rattler is tied with Kenny Pickett who we will be facing <laughs> off against this upcoming weekend at plus 4000 so um we'll get Kenny give some pickett, of stats. heisman
0: candidate that's yeah. what we're going up against this weekend <laughs> yeah and
1: sam howell's right behind him who we uh we already took care of, of him at plus plus five thousand. but uh, like i said kenny pickett is just out to make you look as bad as possible this yes
0: year. he's making me look he's making all my old takes look bad that's fine because i i was had four years of being right and now i'm wrong <laughs> and that's that's okay he is putting up stats and this year not many quarterbacks are putting up the TD numbers that we're normally familiar with seeing from Heisman candidates. And if he were to continue this pace, the 19 touchdowns to one interception kind of thing, even if he comes down a little bit, like he will have numbers. They just need to win games and being a coastal team. I kind of think that he's in line to lose a couple games here.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So he, it's going to regress. You see this, you can not extrapolate yeah. stats like nineteen, nineteen to one, T D to interception ratio. It's gonna normalize. It's just hopefully it normalizes, starts to normalize this weekend. But right I now, I Waller what,
0: basically gets a pick a game. So yeah. he should he should get one this exactly. weekend. Exactly. Um all right, let's move to the injury stuff. Zanzi started the game. Yep. Silas Janzi. I'm never quite sure how to pronounce that. But Silas started, which is good to have him back, even though he's hobbling a little bit. And then Parker Clements came in as early as the second drive and yep. was out there. So both of those right tackles were healthy enough to play, which was a good sign. Unfortunately, we lost two quarterbacks for different portions of the game. It looks like Blumrick is hurt, and it's going to be out for a while with a leg thing. Yep. Um, and he had to come in because Braxton Burmeister took another shot to his shoulder. It kind of looked like he had separated it the way he was holding it in the game, but I guess it was just like a bad stinger because yeah. he said he couldn't feel his hand.
1: Yeah, it was it was certainly frightening, uh, especially being out there and watching that and then seeing Blumrick come in and then on that that rush to the right, just get taken down and get twisted up on his ankle. And it was just, it was ugly. And then you're, you're wondering what you're going to do next. But yeah, we have, um, we have injuries are starting to, especially at the worst position for us starting to pile
0: up. That's for sure. We had Dax that got ejected for the targeting call. You know, I hate targeting. It's, it's like the worst penalty. I think people want to talk about that tiered system. And I think it was for for Heisman on Twitter was just like, do you really expect these refs to be able to, like, give you the right tier when this comes down? Like they so often it doesn't look like targeting at all and they give you the call. So now we're going to ask them to differentiate like flagrant one and flagrant two. Like that's not that's not a good solution. The best solution is to either get rid of it or get rid of the uh, ejection. Or something, you know, like it just I don't or two targeting calls to get ejected something else because it's too ridiculous. Dax could not do anything really to change the way he was going to hit that guy.
1: You talk about a bam, bam play. That is it. It was a split second between him, him getting the ball and Dax hitting him. And if Dax wanted to move his head any direction, not to make contact that way. I watched it again and again. I don't see any physical way that he could have done anything different there and still executed the football play that he needed to and
0: is asked to do on the field. So then we had Cone getting the start, something we talked about before. Is it going to be Pine? Is it going to be Cone? Pine didn't play at all. Cone started the game, and then they put him on the bench for Buckner, the freshman third-string quarterback, which we did talk briefly about, but didn't expect him to really throw the ball at all. We thought he might have a few running packages. Well, he played for a while, and then he kind of twisted his ankle and wasn't playing that well. <laughs> so then he went out, Cone comes back in. So we three different quarterbacks got hurt in this game. And uh, the last thing, as far as the injuries go, is they did have Kurt Heinisch back in the middle of that line. and It did seem to help them on the run defense. The last note before we get into the game recap was Robbie had mentioned at the end of last podcast... An email about a bet that we got. And so I had a chance to take a look at it. I I replied to Doug today. This guy is actually a UVA fan, but he has been, you know, badgering his friends back and forth about who's going to win the Tech UVA game this year. And he wanted to reach out to us to say, like, this is the, if you guys want to cover this, the loser of the bet has to shave their heads and get painted up in the opposing team's colors. And I just thought that was kind of funny. You know, you're risking losing your hair. And if you're of a certain age, you're not so sure it's ever going to grow back in correctly. Yeah, so, yeah. or so you're going to have a job big deal.
1: After, after having to go into work workout like that. But no, we're, we have to cover this because I've seen too many bets – uh, happen and just go sideways. You know, if somebody just is like, what if I gave you 300 bucks and I don't have to shave my head and, but that yeah, is not yeah, happening yeah. on this one. So we will, we will, uh, stay tuned on this up until the UVA Virginia Tech game to see what happens because yeah. somebody's getting their head shaved. Uh, if you're going to put it out there and you're going to send us an email about it, we're going to make sure it happens.
0: Yeah. He said they've already got the barber, the face painter, photographer, and, uh, it, it, He, like I said, he's a UVA guy, but his buddies, you know, listen to the show and, um, he thinks that UVA is going to win 42 to 21. So he's not just going, he's he, the, the score has nothing to do with it. It's just a straight up who wins, but he's, he's feeling good about the who's. And so I would love to see this guy's head get shaved and maybe we'll put it on our Twitter and hopefully we'll like, maybe even have these guys on the podcast later in the season when we're, we're getting to that point. But I just thought that was hilarious. And so I'm ready to hop into this game recap. I'm going to try to do it as quickly as possible, and then we're going to give our reactions because there was a lot of stuff that happened in this game. We got the sack on the first drive by Barno, So it was great to see him back in action. And just a little bit later, we put up a quick 10 points. We got the TD run by Blackshear and added a field goal after a 59-yard, 14-play drive. And that field goal was after three tries from the one failed to get in. Notre Dame put Buckner in the game after a slow start from Cone, and he got them on the board with a touchdown. He ran it in, engineered a 75-yard drive, and then he engineered an 80-yard drive. And they took the lead 14-10 to right before the half. And So there's about 32 seconds left. We shockingly get in position for a field goal, kick it, 52-yarder, and we make it. It's 14-13 to at the half. We started the third quarter with a long eleven play drive, again had to settle for a field goal. We had a touchdown called back for an ineligible man downfield. Is that is probably my least favorite call in college football. <laughs>
1: it's for a while it wasn't getting called at all. Then they started calling it, and it's just all over the place when it gets called and it does, and it drives me absolutely crazy. And on that path And so which,
0: often the players that are downfield like have no impact on what's happening
1: yeah because they were talking about it even on that play it's often when the qb scrambles out and they're like yeah the offensive line needs to get back and how the hell do you know you you just finished blocking another 300 yeah. pound person and you're supposed to know that you got to get back and not you know move downfield
0: it's just it's asinine it sucks but we had to settle for the field goal later in the third Braxton Burmeister threw a costly interception, and Notre Dame punched it in with a tackle-breaking run by Williams. Very poor tackling by us on that. 21-16, we're down. Burmeister took the shot to his shoulder on the next drive, and things were looking pretty bleak. And that is when Waller jumped the route, got the huge pick six, and we went for two. After a false start with Blumrick, who doesn't pass very well, and what do you know? He threw an interception and we didn't get it. It is 22 to 21. Tech is in the lead. Blummer gets injured a few drives later. Burmeister comes back in after Pac popping some pills on the sideline, which they showed Yeah, on they TV. did show that. That was bad, <laughs> honestly. They, I not- did not see that till the rewatch, but yeah. they showed it. Um, and he ran in an awesome touchdown high on Percocet, and I I loved it. So after after a roughing the passer call, which set that up. So it's 29 to 21. Notre Dame puts Cohn back in the game. They drive right down the field. I mean, they made our defense look like Swiss cheese. 75 yards in a little over a minute. They tied the game on because the, they got the two-point conversion. Uh, there's a targeting call on Dax that we talked about that helped on that drive. But they get the two-point conversion on a play that easily could have been called back for another penalty, but it wasn't. So it's all tied up. And we got the ball, and it's fourth and one from our own 27. And uh, we punted. And I, I'm not going to fault Fuente so much for that call. There's other things we can fault him for. But Trey Turner on that drive had the ball touch his fingertips, and he couldn't pull it in. And that was that was really painful. Notre Dame got it back. They drive down the field easily again, kick a field goal, and they win. 32-29. to 29. Yeah. It was a brutal finish, man. Painful. Up eight points with less than four to go.
1: Yeah, you should not be losing – games with up by eight with with four to go there's just there's a lot to so much to digest there it's you almost go have to go by half or or by player there there's so much but i know the and then maybe we'll hit last the the coaching decisions so i'm i'm probably going to just start with let's start on a positive note and start with okay burmeister um and somebody that just played their nuts off in a game. But uh, there is to quote Bud Foster. <laughs> yeah. There is no there is no doubt that he missed partially I think due to injury. Some of those passes um on the side. He overthrew Black Shear on maybe twice, once on Black Shear, um maybe one was to Holston. Um, there were some, there were some bad passes in there. There was a slight overthrow on that long pass to Trey Turner that honestly could have won the game for us, but was really, it was so close to being a dime pass that it, it was hard. And I mean,
0: Turner's got to pull it in. He's yeah. got to catch that ball. Yeah.
1: And, but talk about just a gutsy performance, whether you want to go to that TD run in the fourth, that. If he doesn't make that run and basically create something out of nothing, we're not even in this game. We're not even having this discussion about calls and what ended up happening. We're just talking about how you know Notre Dame, um, you know, won the Cause game because that was a
0: third and fifteen, correct? When yeah. he ran that ball in, yeah, it was. It was it. It was one of the like coolest plays because the way he had to like accelerate right before the end zone, it it was so cool. He looked like lightning out there. And the crappy thing was as he was like basically in the end zone he took a shot to that same shoulder yep. and immediately like hunched over as he was like running to celebrate um but man what a great play and like you said what a gutsy performance cuz he was under pressure a lot of the night
1: Oh yeah and he was under pressure and Scrambling out of the pocket again. And it's always to the right. It's never you know, as a right-handed quarterback would. It's always the same scramble that you you see and you almost know when it's coming. So I tried to go back. He didn't he didn't throw from outside the pocket that much more than he has in any other game this season, but it was a higher percentage. Um I think it was early thirty-eight percent of his passes came from from out of the pocket on 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 those scrambles. And it was he was accurate. Sometimes he had that nice throw to Robinson that got called back when he was on the run. There was a lot of good throws he made, but he threw it just as accurately when we gave him some protection and he felt confident. There were times that he left the pocket and he's scrambling, whether it's designed or not designed. And, um, that his passes inside that there wasn't that much more pressure that he had to leave the pocket. It's just what, it's kind of what he does. It's almost his style at this point of how he plays, Plays quarterback and but some of his passes when he actually sits in the pocket and you know can can set his feet are really nice and just really frustrating and I was watching him and I just think to myself man if you just did that you know 90% of the game and we could give him the appropriate protection he would be he'd be throwing you know 60 high 60s maybe 70%
0: completion percentage honestly yeah but I feel like you were almost going to say there that he can be just as accurate on the run or making a jump pass or like he has, that's, what's like frustrating and interesting about Burmeister is that he can be insanely accurate when basically making a Houdini play. And then he can be inaccurate when he has his feet planted perfectly, but he can also be accurate that way too. He's just a very inconsistent player. And, even though he had his worst passer rating. And when I say passer rating, I mean passer rating. I don't mean QBR. His QBR was pretty good. QBR is opponent adjusted and factors in running. Passer rating is only passing. So when I say rating, I always mean just the passing. And it was his worst passer rating since he became a Virginia Tech Hokie. However, he played a good game. And in some ways, I feel like it was his best game yeah. as a Hokie. And he those throws before the half to get the field goal – the called back touchdown play was a scrambling throw for a touchdown yep. to Tavion. And that that run, I mean, those three like different things alone were, you know, enough plays to potentially win this game. Like he was, and he had so many more, like creative, crafty plays, and that's the kind of player he is. So I do want to like give him a lot of credit because he is banged up. He didn't ask to be the only worthwhile quarterback on this roster, and he's out there, like you said, playing his effing nuts off so I do give him a lot of credit but outside of him like the run game was not really existent Blumrick and Trey Turner had our two longest runs of the night Blackshear had a nice day 57 total yards but we couldn't really get him the ball down the stretch or give him any handoffs sure Trey made his plays six catches for 80 yards Tavion five for 53 but when the chips were down we needed to catch from Trey and he didn't make it and we've seen him drop a touchdown pass earlier in the year. So it was for as many plays were made. And I, and I want to give Blumrick no uh, Burmeister full credit. Um, there was a lot of, as French put it in his article, a lot of what if plays out there. There
1: was a ton of it. So I, I track the stats on completion percentage by down. This was our lowest completion percentage on first down. So it was a, it was tied for one other game uh, this year. It was 38% on first down, just 5.4 yards per pass on first down, which is really bad uh, that we're on We're just throughout the game. It just didn't seem like it seemed like we we're always just playing for second down. Like that is okay. We are a two down team. Like first it's like almost the first down is a warm up for us. Okay. Got it. <laughs> and then, all right, now we got second down and third down to make things happen. And it's not the first time that I've had a thought like that. Uh this season and Turner like you said had 80 yards. If he just caught that one pass, we're probably singing, you know, his praises. So it's just it's one catch from probably one of the best days that that he's had. Blackshear only got 8 touches and he had two catches receiving for 22 yards, but he had that spin move that he turned into gained an extra 20 yards on that was huge. He had the rushing touchdown where he bounced off of the offensive line that should have been dead in the water. He not only moved out yeah, to the right play. but then he pushed for extra yards um on top of that. So and then but we only gave him the ball 8 times. I feel like he could have gotten more touches than that because he when he got some momentum going, he was running the ball well. I just don't think there was enough for to be productive. And it was eight rushes for 35 yards. Not bad, not great, just kind of in between. And mm-hmm. it was tough. Robinson only had 53 yards. So like you said, and I guess French said it as well, it, it left a lot of what-ifs on the, on the offense.
0: So let's talk about the critical play stuff. With the three plays for the one settling for a field goal, Seen that before? We we know the red zone struggles are there, so that's that's unfortunate. And we're not going to go into the calls. That just it sucks not to be able to get in from the one for three plays. Going for two up by one with 16 minutes left in the game. You're not even in the fourth quarter, and it's your backup quarterback. And you just got a false start to back you up to the eight. I, I know Fuente more or less apologized for it afterwards, saying like, you know, he was pissed off and it got the best of him. But, dude, what what are you doing? That is that is stupid. I mean, that you're talking putting Katie in on the six yard line when you're in a game when you're only up seven. Now that's dumb. This might be dumber. I don't know. They're both really really dumb because, it, I, and you could say, hey, they scored eleven points. What does it matter, Pete? You don't need to hammer him over. It does matter because if you kick the field goal and you're up by two and then we get the next touchdown and then you're up by 9 yep. it changes the math for Notre Dame because would they go for two do they get it then on the next possession we're able to run it just it's a butterfly effect it's not just as simple as how the game finished it changes things <laughs> and so that was stupid You're the the percentage chance of Blumrick getting the ball in the end zone from the 8 yard line it's a low probability play like it just is yeah it, it and to your point
1: about the butterfly effect, it ended up not mattering as much because Blumberg ended up getting injured. But now he's got a pick from in a play that he has no business making in the back of his head. And for all you know, Burmeister can't go back in. For all you right. know, Blumberg isn't... You don't know he's going to end up getting hurt and coming back out of the game and that Burmeister is going to be able to come in. For all we know, it's just Blumberg for the rest of the game. And now he's got this stupid pick sitting in the back of his head in a play that he never should have been a part of.
0: Right. And we got both backup quarterbacks with stupid picks in the back of their heads because of the position the coaches put them in. And it, it's just obnoxious. And I'm glad Burmeister's okay to go next week because we've shattered the confidence of the two backup guys and the one guy's hurt now. So like yeah. uh, it's, it's just, it's so frustrating. The fourth and one punt from the 27 flip a coin. If you're mad about that, like I, I'm, I'm really not because I totally get the idea of the game's over. But if Wente had more balls, maybe he would have gone for it and we would have driven and won the game. I, I, uh, I take a I lot know. more the, the,
1: issue than you do. with the, Okay, the, that's
0: fine. And, I, and, and the, I totally get that. I just... So let me do two things.
1: So one, I don't know why on the... When we're at the one-yard line... I don't know why Blumrich was throwing the ball in that particular instance when he's de- he's a designed runner. You just ran it on first and one. Holston got nowhere. Okay. And yeah. then we just decided to kind of go away from that and then have Blumrich scramble out. And I just don't understand the play call. Whatever. It didn't happen. We kicked the field goal. On the fourth and one at the end of the game, it sh- It's just a different mentality like you are deferring to Notre Dame in that particular instance and hoping you know that the defense just got burned real bad and they just went 75 yards no problem on us and maybe a little bit less than that because of the uh, targeting call that gave them some free yards. But so now you're basically saying we don't think we can do this. We don't think that we can get the fourth and one and we don't think we can get into position to kick the field goal and essentially win the game on our side. So we're going to defer to you, Brian Kelly and your team and your team's prep to see if maybe our defense can be good, or maybe you can make a mistake. And Mm -hmm. I just don't agree with that mentality. Not at home, not when it's like that. Not if, if, if nothing else, especially not at this point in your coaching career right? It's yeah. What are you playing? You're in year six of this. You already lost a game because of uh, a lot of people said play calling or the coaches inhibiting the ability for the players to win against WVU. And here you are again to make amends and say, fine, let's do it. Instead, you do it with the stupid Blumbrick going for the two point conversion Instead of when you really should have said, if he was stubborn on that and we lost the game right there, would I have questioned the call? I would have been like, Man, that really sucks. Like we had a shot there, we could've dig we could have gotten into field goal position and won, but we went for it and we gave it a shot and we lost.
0: Instead And, and I think that's a good point. We because got beat. they people will kill you for being a wuss, but they generally don't kill you if you take a calculated risk Mm -hmm. and he didn't take the risk. And so I totally respect your take. And I'm, I, I I can like, I can only choose so many things to be mad about. And so like, I'm, I'm just at my wits end with this guy. And so like, I can't even think of whether I'm actually pissed about that or not, but you're right. It was, you're at home against a top 15 team with a chance to go and win the game. And he decided not to do it, or at least not to try for it. And so That's annoying, but the thing I took a bigger issue with is after we did punt it, and Notre Dame's driving down the field with a tie game. Keep in mind, neither team is winning. Why are you not using your timeouts? Like, the the clock is ticking away. They're driving. It's pretty clear they're going to get close to a field goal. Use your timeouts so we can have some more time. Like I, we had two timeouts left it, and the, the clock, it wasn't a lot of seconds, but it was at least like a good 20 seconds that we probably could have saved. But you
1: see how those two things go together. So now, mm-hmm. now you've really confused everybody. Now you've confused your fan base and now your players. Cause now you've told your players, I don't think we could have got it on fourth and one, and we're going to rely on our defense and maybe they'll, they'll screw up. Mm-hmm. Now, if you do make that decision, okay, fine. Whether you are for it or against it, now it is up to you as the coach to manage the clock appropriately with your timeouts like you made decision too much to ask yeah you but you made the first decision fine okay right that what's Mm -hmm. done is done now that decision is gone now the 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 impetus is on you to make the right decisions to give your team the most chance to win it was almost as though as soon as we did made the decision to punt we made the decision to lose period so You're right. It, it, it
0: was we punted, so then the game was over. So why manage the clock appropriately? And and that's the thing. It's like, are you playing for overtime? Like I, I don't understand. Like the best case scenario here is that they kick a field goal and miss, and we go to overtime. Is that what you want? Don't you want to try and win the game in regulation? Like, whatever. I mean, Fu right now, he is the guy at the casino who's down like a few hundred dollars, and then he's just like. I'm just gonna put something on. Block. I'm just gonna put it on, you know, this or this, and he's just like making bad bet after bad bet, and it reeks of desperation, and he keeps losing, and he keeps losing, and it, it, the confidence is gone, and then then you start, you keep making the bets, and you keep losing, and we've all been in that position yes. at the casino, and it's not a good place to be. I'm
1: not even kidding you. That is Pete and I had no discussion about this whatsoever, but that is the exact thought I had the day afterwards when I was just doing like my shower is. When I, I am one of those gamblers that I have huge ebbs and flows. Like I'll go way, way up because I'll just bet really heavy and the table goes cold and I won't back down. Like I'll keep going at the table. I'm like, I, I can grind it through. I can win a few hands and you win one. You beat Notre Dame and South Bend. You make a comeback. You, you win one, you get Arkansas. That one worked. The yeah. other 23 out of 25 times you make the wrong decision and you just kind of keep throwing good money after bad or you're just flailing all over the place and it's like last week we went for it so that means this week uh, let's not go for it or you know it's like playing roulette it's like it's been red five times in a row so it'll probably be black
0: no just make the right decision (laughs) I know I know I, I will say this and this is the only compliment Fu's gonna get I appreciated that he didn't bury his head in the sand and go into half when they went up 14 to 10 because there wasn't much time left. He easily could have done his whole thing of like, you know, we don't want to turn the ball over, predicted outcomes, all this stuff. But he let Burmeister go out there, let it rip. We got in field goal range and we kicked the field goal. And I thought that was refreshing and rare that he actually let that happen. And so then he screwed it all up in the second half. But at least there was that right before the half because so often we've just – you know, knelt on it and gone into the halftime or t- did one run up the middle and gone into halftime, but that's not what happened here.
1: Yeah. I, I give him a ton of credit for that. I give him a ton of credit. Honestly, as stupid as that, that play was, I, I finally give him credit for just being honest and just saying, and I told you and Joe, this just being honest and saying, I let my emotions and just being pissed off get in the way. Now, I'm not yeah. saying that's good. I'm not saying it's excusable. But at least we're starting somewhere with honesty, and then we can. <laughs> once you have honesty, at least you can start to build off of that. Too bad we're this far into uh, our tenure here in the in the coaching staff for that to happen. But I I was actually refreshing when he was just like, I, I I let my emotions take over. I was pissed off, and you know I did it, and I was like, so he's human. Okay, there we go. That one's whatever. So that's probably why I'm almost more forgiving of that than the other two plays.
0: Yeah. And I would be forgiving, too, if it wasn't like the 12th time something like that's happened. (laughs) But why don't we take a quick beer break before we get to the defense? And before we take the beer break, a quick moment to talk about our sponsor. Downtown Crown Wine & Beer and Dominion Wine & Beer. I actually just got an email from one of our listeners asking does dominion have tvs outside in the tents and will they have the hokies game on this saturday and my reply was yes they definitely have tvs outside in the tents and it's a great viewing experience they got one on either end and they're very big nice tvs um and i would have to assume they're going to have the hokies game on at three thirty, and it's probably a request thing if nothing else. And, um, I'll, I'll send Arash a Rasha text today just to make sure that, uh, he has the clue that we play at three thirty, and he can flip it on. Cause he does obviously support the Hokies by supporting this podcast, but he might not be dialed in cause he's a JMU guy. That's,
1: that's right. But <laughs> uh, yeah, sit out there if you're worried about it get there a little bit early because the beer selection wine selection everything is awesome so you can get a few libations in you before before kickoff and make sure the game's on but we will also pull our weight to make sure that uh it's on for people that want to go out there and check as well
0: and up at downtown crown in gaithersburg they also have tvs they also have a bar set up a bunch of tables you can i think you can bring food in um And great wine, great beer selection. Outside, I think they have tables as well at Downtown Crown. So just a great spot to hang out on a Saturday, watch a little football. And Dominion has a huge setup and sometimes has live music on Saturday nights and whatnot. But you guys got to hit them up this season. Get your alcohol there. Get your wine there. Grab your gifts. Anything that you need, alcohol related. uh, Head to Downtown Crown Wine and Beer and Dominion Wine and Beer this season. And they'll hook you up. Robbie, for now, I need to know what you're drinking. So I went with a beer and a brewery that we actually
1: haven't had on here in a while, um, from what I recollect. Uh, Droid Theory uh, is out in Percival, and this is a hazy Imperial IPA. It's called Operation Warfare Insurgency, and um, the artwork for Droid Theory is always awesome. The cans are crazy. Some of them have kind of a gothic uh, feel to them. This one's a little bit uh, kind of demonic mixed with almost Transformers-esque. I don't know how to explain it other than that. But if you see the can, it'll make a little bit more sense. And I haven't had a Droid Theory in a while and forgot just how good a lot of the beers are that they put out. Especially when they started early on, they didn't do a ton of IPAs. And then they went full bore, uh, hazy IPAs and um did a lot of them so i and i haven't had a Android theory in a while and it does not disappoint this is a great uh, bold bodied very punch you in the mouth so it's not very soft it's only it's eight percent i know that's pretty high but it's not a nine ten crazy but it is definitely um a very bold uh, hazy ipa not kind of the fluffy kind of uh, IPA, the hazy IPAs mm-hmm. that that are soft, citrusy. This one's more, a lot more hop uh, punch to it. But it is very, very good. And droid is um, used to be one of my favorite breweries, and uh, I haven't had in a while, and it's
0: it's really good. Yeah, they've been around a long time. I am drinking the Elysian, the Great Pumpkin. It's an imperial pumpkin ale. Elysian makes at least four different pumpkins because I got the mix pack in my fridge. Out of Seattle, Washington. They've been on the East Coast for a while now, though. The Night Owl is their, I think, most popular pumpkin beer, and it's delicious. This Imperial is obviously a little bit higher on the alcohol, 8.4%, brewed with pumpkin, pumpkin seeds, and spices. It's delicious. I think it's just a slightly more alcoholic version of the Night Owl, because in my opinion, it tastes very similar to that. But I've got the Puncaccino, I've got... Their Pumpkin Stout, I forget the name. It's like Dark of the Moon or something like that. The Night Owl and um, and this bad boy. So it's a great mix pack. I've been enjoying it the last couple of days, but definitely recommend these Elysian Pumpkin beers. They're all very, very tasty. Let's hop into the defense, Robbie. I don't want to spend too much time on Notre Dame because it's we're 40 minutes, some almost 50 minutes into the podcast, but uh, they were a little... When it came down to it, a little disappointing. Despite the good start, we ended up giving 400 yards to a team swapping in their third-string QB, a battle line, and without their best player on offense.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yes, that uh, that is good. And so Buckner, he struggled, obviously, in this game, and uh, it was – it was strange to see him out there just as much as he was. It was, um, and I, I wasn't prepared for it. He ended up going 16, 6 for 14 in passing, 113 yards. He had a TD and, and two interceptions before he, he got bun- benched. Uh, he ran for, I think, 12 times for 67 yards and another TD. He was, he was serviceable, I guess, for he kept them in the game. Uh, he didn't do, anything terribly terribly bad other than that pick six but it was nothing to to write home about and honestly with him in the game we really had a shot and i think that ended up helping us even more so than maybe the stout defense it was more just his challenges in the game overall
0: yeah initially it was bad like his scrambling ability hurt us but then we started to get the better of him Mm -hmm. and I, if he doesn't twist his ankle, which wasn't even related to a play, like he he like hopped in frustration and then came down on his ankle wrong. Yep. Um, but if that doesn't happen, I don't know if Cone goes back in the game. I don't think he And does. I don't think they could have won the game without Cone's throwing ability. So we'll never know. Cone probably would have come back in because Buckner was struggling. But Kelly, he it wasn't on purpose, but it kind of worked out well for him because – he surprised us two different times and it worked well initially both times. And we never had a chance to counter the second time when Cone came back in the game. So it, it sucked and it was weird and it was difficult to prepare for. But at the end of the day, Notre Dame ran for more yards against us and more yards per carry against us than they had all year long. We weren't able to get either guy under pressure too much. We had two total sacks, no additional tackles for loss which is ridiculous considering how many TFLs they were giving up coming in. I, I'm not really sure what happened there, but we, Kyron Williams was difficult to tackle. They weren't getting huge plays, but just enough each time. And it was really frustrating to watch, honestly.
1: And it was random. If you recall that pass Buckner through the absolute dime, that it was almost a TD he threw to the oh, yeah. three yard line. And that was on Waller. And, that that was not a breakdown on Waller. That was an amazing pass put perfectly and with a speedy wide receiver. And Waller did everything he could to try and, you know, put coverage on there. It it was crazy. And you did, Kyron Williams was wide open for the one TD pass that he caught in the end zone. Nobody was mm-hmm. on the coverage, miscommunication. No Nobody was even near him. It was not consistent, but it was just enough, you know, punch it was just like a punch and then it would be quiet for a little bit and then like another punch and then it would be quiet for a little bit it was very sporadic but enough to keep them in the game and ended up brought them brought them the w and the defense just didn't cause enough havoc um and we said going into this game i really hope the running backs don't don't go back to their old form and they did they did not do what they did last year right this was not what williams um uh, did did last year by any stretch of the imagination, but it was still better than they had run the ball thus far this year.
0: Yeah, they did just enough to constantly keep us off balance, and we could never really get in a rhythm defensively, and there there were bright spots. I mean, Peoples had 12 tackles in the interception. The, the pick six was amazing, and I thought like, oh man, this is going to really turn the game here. Barno had the sack right away and six total tackles. He was kind of like getting back to his old self chapman even dropped another td that we should have had
1: which hit him right right in the numbers with nobody around him uh that that one had to have given him nightmares because i had nightmares about it that was so so perfect
0: but when your defense gives up 400 yards to that offense and you give up 11 points in the four most critical minutes of the game you didn't have a good day you just didn't and it sucks, man, because this offense has struggled so bad. It is such an inconsistent, almost terrible offense, and they did enough. They really did enough to win the game, yeah. and it was the defense that that kind of let us down in this one.
1: Yeah, it was, and there were some random plays. If you remember the uh, Kyron Williams TD run in mm-hmm. near the end zone, where we missed three tackles, three straight-up separate tackles um, yep. for him to run into the end zone. I think they were probably... He started... The first time he got touched was at the nine-yard line, and he made it all the way into the end zone with three people touching him on the way in. That one really hurt. That was what that was when Notre Dame went up 21-16 on us. So, yep. yeah, 173 yards they had on the ground, and that included minus 11 yards from Jack Cohn. So, really you know 184 ish yards if you think of you know positive production from from yeah. them uh and what would we say that they had against who was it uh didn't they have like they th- had
0: 3 against Wisconsin yeah
1: so <laughs> 3 <laughs> just put that into your mind and think about it and you get a sense of of what happened
0: yeah on special teams, we did make the three field goals. It was good to see him get on track and and Romo to make those field goals. And that 52-yard bomb was oh, huge, yeah.
1: it was a huge kick. That was awesome.
0: It was a very important kick and a long freaking kick. Incredible. I'm hoping that he will continue to be consistent in the kicking game. And then Peter Moore is a fantastic punter. Yes, I know it's not fun to talk about punting after that type of game, but 49 yards per punt on six punts.
1: Well, it is if you're Iowa. They they live off of that. So, <laughs> can we talk about the kick return game because it was on point. That this entire game is, I couldn't. Our field position. I know. I was so worried with the number of times that we took it out of the end zone or close to, and ended up at the thirty or thirty-five yard line again. in the you know, and it was both King and Blackshear on the kick returns. So, we. I know that's not much, right? You start yeah. at the 25 if you just kneel it. But we were gaining an extra 5, 10 yards of field position. They've been great. On on a lot of those. The punt return game was not was so-so. The kick return game I thought was excellent here. And I think it was almost two each from King and Blackshear um, that um, went really well for them. And then obviously Holston's not so well <laughs> yeah. at the end of the game.
0: Let's talk about the, our takeaways before we move on to Pitt. Last podcast, I said that Fuente cannot get badly outcoached and us win the game. It's not so much that Kelly outcoached him. It was that Fu, again, outcoached himself. Yeah. like I, I feel like that's what keeps happening. And these types of losses will keep piling up as long as he's our coach. I have put it out on Twitter repeatedly since last year, when the spread is within three points. Fu is two and thirteen straight up since the tar- start of 2017. Two and thirteen in like what should be a toss-up game. Yeah,
1: that's unbelievable. That's brutal. Yeah, it is. Yeah, he he he's playing against himself, like you said. Is it's really not even who's on the other side of the field and the coaching. So it's really just him and his own. His own head, and what's going to happen in the mirror, and who's who's holding what cards, and in that game, which it is is unbelievable to to see stats like that because it's and it's difficult to watch, and it's difficult. It's got to be somewhat difficult on the players just to you know get out there and put that sort of a gritty performance together, and then have it have that sort of stuff
0: happen. And I and I almost hope they don't realize like how poor he is because I would just be furious if I knew that. You know, my two losses this year were basically because of coaching and aptitude. And look, the players got to make plays. I get that, but they're kids, and they're not paid millions of dollars. Fuente makes four million dollars a year. He needs to have his team better prepared. And when the calls that are important and critical moments of the game, they've got to be right. Mm-hmm. They've got to be right. You stop. You got to stop being a desperate gambler. You've got to be confident and and stick with your decisions and. Play the rest of the game based on those decisions, like you were talking about. It is so annoying. The counter, I suppose, if you want to feel better about this game, is that Notre Dame's ranked. It's Notre Dame. We almost won. No. Let's, let's, I don't want to hear that. Not from anybody. This team is not good. We all watched that game. Notre Dame is awful on offense. They have to play. Two different quarterbacks, a different quarterback than they had to play the previous week. Yeah. They have no idea what they're doing offensively. They can't block, and they still beat us. They didn't even have Meyer; he's their best player They're by by far, and they still beat us. I do not want to hear that. Their name is four and one, and they're really good. And no, they're not really good. They played one good team, and they lost.
1: Yeah, they are. They're not good. It was actually funny listening to Cover Three today when they were talking about. Notre Dame's best win was against us, <laughs> which oh, God. Yeah. So just put that in the back of your head, in a and and think
0: about our schedule. Yeah. Is UNC good? Yeah, no. They're three and three. They suck. Is WVU good? They lost again. They're two and four. They beat us and they beat Long Island. Is Middle Tennessee State good? Yeah. Or how about Richmond? Are they good? Like we suck. Look at look at our schedule. Look who we've beaten. Look look who we've lost to
1: yeah it's, it's tough when you put it that way but i uh i can't i can't help but uh but like agree. our
0: schedule took it on the chin this past weekend like and the and the weekend before and the weekend before it's, it's um it, it's it's frustrating and I, I don't mean a bit a debbie downer but it's frustrating after a game like that that was so winnable if you go out there and you make us four and one and we beat Notre Dame. You know, you're supposed to beat a bad team. I think Notre Dame's not that good. We should beat that team. Yeah. This team is more talented enough to beat that team. And you know why we didn't? Because our coach stinks. Like, he stinks. And, and, he didn't, and it's not just the day of stuff. It's the fact that we lost two quarterbacks to the portal that might be able to help us in a game like that. It's the fact that we lost Doug Nestor that might be able to help us open up a hole and get into the end zone. That's why I'm mad. That's why I say that coach stinks. It's not just the day of stuff.
1: Yeah. I'll end it on a positive note that also kind of speaks to what you had to say. So we did force Notre Dame into seven penalties, I think, for 70 yards. The reason I say it's a positive thing is because I think a lot of it had to do with the fan base. So it was loud. There was miscommunications, false starts, inopportune times. They had encroachment, I think, uh, at, at one point. I think the atmosphere and, and other than the strobe light, I think that was up in the, uh, up in the bleachers, uh, the nosebleeds, uh, that would, that caused the game to, yeah. to get held up. Um, which I actually thought was kind of funny, especially rewatching the game. Cause I didn't know what was happening at the time. I didn't see it uh, on the field uh, or in the stadium, but overall amazing atmosphere. Again, it was incredible. And, um, honestly, the, I will say that the ACC network did not do it full justice when I rewatched the game in terms of their yeah. sound and those sorts of things. So um, if you if you thought it was at all subdued or, or not as lively as maybe some of the other games, I would um, I'd lob a little call into the ACC network and uh, have them improve their microphones and and their cameras.
0: Yeah, and we have that great home field advantage in theory and such a great atmosphere and after UNC I even said it on I think it was on Twitter I said you know that's a real weapon and it's so nice to have that at our disposal to be have that loud stadium it's a real advantage when you're on defense and yet in the playoff era we are now under 500 at home yeah and some of that it was you know a couple years of beamer but a lot of that has been Fuente. And it's it and we're 16 and 17 versus P5 and Notre Dame at home since 2014. I mean, that's a long time. That's seven, you know, six and a half years of seasons. And it's tough, man. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Let's move on hey, to Pitt. You got you got it all out. Ah, man. 330 this Saturday. Playing Pittsburgh, and they're four and one, coached by Pat Narduzzi, one of our favorites. <laughs> and they are coming off a bye after beating Georgia tech pretty good.
1: Yeah. They, um, yeah, they smoked Georgia tech. It was, it was not even, not even close. I think I was just looking at some of the stats again, before we came on here um, on that Georgia tech game, Georgia tech went two for 11 on third down. They went one for four on fourth down. Um, They put up 432 yards. 359 of those were passing. Do you ever think you'd ever see that from, from a Georgia Tech team um, no. against against a Pitt team?
0: Dude, they passed uh, for so many yards.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, they rushed for a whole 73. But it, this game was never close. Pitt ran off with it. And I was going through the stats, and I'm trying to figure out for Pitt, especially on defense— like, who's good on their defense? Like, stats-wise, who's playing well? That's kind of what I go through first, is I look at the stats on the year, I look at the stats of the last couple games, and I kind of try and hone in on who's playing well. The problem is, is that Pitt has not really been in that many close games, so they've had yep. their backups in so much. If you look at their defensive stats, and I'll try and pull it up, they have, like, 50 guys on defense that have logged some sort of stat, whether it's a tackle whether it's a half tackle, whether it's a, you know, a sack or just whatever, a pass defended, it, it was so hard to try and really look at who. So I had to go back and look at who the starters are and kind of redo the way I, I look at things. But
0: I'm, I'm with you hundred percent, man. The same thing happened to me and you're right. The tackle numbers are completely spread around. Um, I went back to the Athlon preview from the summer to just see like who the starters were supposed to be. Cause it was hard to figure out based on the statistics. Um, and their defense, it's it's okay, but the better side of this team yeah. is the offense and what Kenny Pickett's doing. And Pitt, Pittsburgh University, University of Pittsburgh, number one in points per game in college football. Like, I know they haven't played a super tough schedule, but, I mean, that's ridiculous. There's, they have, like, 52 points a game. Like, I would have never, ever thought that. Uh, their second in passer rating as a team, fourth in passing yards per game, 75th in yards per carry so clearly like running is not what they do or the or a strength but it's not terrible 75 is right in the middle of the pack um and seventh in yards per play so they're 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 a very good team now their wins are over umass tennessee good win north uh new hampshire they lost to western michigan and they beat georgia tech so you lost to a mac team your best win is over tennessee or georgia tech like uh, yeah. it's it's not it's whatever but if you look at the stats like i said it a couple of weeks ago new hampshire and richmond were supposed to be about even in how good they were yeah. and Pitt beat them by 70 points
1: it's pretty incredible and all of it comes down to something else that we thought we would never say which is and we alluded to earlier is kenny pickett so <laughs> kenny pickett has 1700 yards um He has a 72% completion percentage. He has 19 touchdowns. He has one interception. And I just wrote, I'm befuddled. I just don't even understand what's going on here. He is playing out of his mind. And on top of that, he has Jordan Addison, who is just a monster. He has 29 receptions for 524 yards and nine TDs. The next on the team, I think, is their tight end, Lucas Kroll, who has 193 yards but five TDs. Uh and and then Taylor Mack, who has sixteen for three hundred and four yards and two TDs. I they those two man, Waller is gonna have to have a day uh to shut that down because um they are just picking
0: apart defenses and and Mack and Addison are also like their average catches is- 18 and 19 yards. Yeah. Like these are long catches, 29 catches and your average is 18 yards. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that is really good. Nine touchdowns. Unbelievable. We got a little brief preview of what he was capable of last year. Cause he threw for 404 yards last year on our defense. And it, and I remember thinking like, where did this come from? And lo and behold, that's what he's doing just about every game this year. If you factor in his rushing, he's, he's close to 400 yards a game. I mean, it's it's pretty ridiculous what he's doing on their offense. They've got good running backs. It's not the same old pit where you'd have quadriolus in and these big, muscly backs barreling down our throat. But Abba, Abba, hold
1: on a second. Oh, I was waiting for this one. Here we go.
0: Abba Nakanda. Abba Nakanda has 207 yards, 4.3 yards per carry, four touchdowns, and an additional 10 receptions. Davis was a guy we knew from last year. He has 203 yards, and they have Hammond with 185. So they almost have three 200-yard rushers. Again, probably because of the spread of the statistics because they've been killing some people. Um, It's a good offense, lots of weapons. They have a lot of wide receivers. I mean, we named a few, Mm -hmm. but there's at least like three or four more that are making meaningful contributions to this team.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And because of the way that their games have played out, I'm not even with injuries and stuff like that, but they are deep right now. So if somebody's having an off night, they have been able to give their backups and their second string a lot of reps. So unlike us, where I feel like the complete opposite, you know, they they have uh, benefited greatly from being up in games and been able to get people in there and get them reps on both sides of the ball. But in particular. Maybe more so on the defense, but also on the offense as well, which is why you see all these people putting up decent
0: stats. As far as up front, they're pretty good at preventing sacks. Kenny Pickett's only taken eight sacks. That's 33rd in sacks allowed in the country for their O-line. And their tight end, good blocker, he has five touchdowns on 15 receptions. So a third of his catches are touchdowns, so that's definitely a red zone threat for them. That's Krull. So... Dangerous offense. The defense is not maybe a typical Narduzzi defense, but it's pretty solid. It's 27th in SP+, so it's a top 30 unit. They're giving up just three yards per carry. Definitely better against the rush than the pass. They gave up what Robbie said about Georgia Tech, like 360 yards to them, almost 360 to Western Michigan. So this team can be passed on. And I... I wish we had a slightly more healthy quarterback to take advantage of that because rush yards are going to be hard to come by.
1: Yeah. They haven't been, they've been productive. They have 18 sacks on the year. Uh Baldonado has three and a half sacks. Their D line is just really effective at shutting things down and forcing people to, to pass. and, it's allowed. So they have four interceptions and three forced fumbles. Uh, honestly, the havoc of this defense has not been all that substantial in terms of turnovers or sack numbers are are pretty decent. It's just relatively consistent at shutting things down. They have, I think, they have almost twelve linebackers
0: that have seen the field.
1: If uh, throughout there, they've
0: got a lot. They got a deep linebacking core. It's. It's at least four different linebackers that have three-and-a-half tackles for loss mm-hmm. and a ton of seniors. I mean, Campbell, Pine, Bright. We know those guys from previous years. Yep. And then Petrushin, he's a senior too. Dennis and Davis, they're juniors. It's deep, man. And the and the line is veteran too. Yep. Like Their front seven has so many guys, all that have experience, juniors and seniors, absolutely everywhere. Danielson, he's the big nose tackle, 310 pounds. He has a lot of starting experience. And so, yes, their front seven is dangerous. And and you said the thing about the sacks, that ha- they have 33 more hurries. So we talked about that with yeah. Notre Dame. These are two huge hurry teams that maybe haven't gotten home as much as they even could be. Yeah. And so we're talking about 10 pressures a game, yeah. sacks and hurries combined. It's it's a lot. It, it makes me worried for Burmeister, but there will be opportunity in the secondary. I. I it's hard to envision us taking advantage of that though. I, I just don't know.
1: Yeah. They have Brandon Hill back there. He leads the team with 28 tackles. He has an interception. He, yeah, I think he came in as a, you know stalwart for their defense, but outside of that, it's not much. I mean, it's definitely something that you can attack. I just don't know if we're going to be able to do that. And yeah, with that much pressure. And I think everyone
0: has that question like can we are we should we just throw up some 50-50 balls like the Gerard Evans game a few years ago where it was just like you know what? F it. Throw it to <laughs> throw it to Bucky, throw it throw it to Ford, throw it to Cam. We got to do that with Trey and Tavian. Just throw it up because these are not good corners like they can be taken advantage of and we should. Um their special teams is 15th in the SP Plus. I don't know a whole lot more than that, but supposedly a good special teams unit as far as overall analysis and keys, did, do you have anything? I mean, I think
1: for this, it's we're going to have to really just wipe away that Notre Dame game. I think this could, that game could do more damage than even just the results on the fields, especially with some of the play calling and not going for the fourth and one, the atmosphere. I could see some dejected, folks after uh, on the team after that. So I think we're going to find a way to shake that off quick. We have to, I know we're talking about Barno. We're going to have to get some, some sort of consistent pressure on Pickett the way that he's been playing. I mean, a 72% completion percentage, 1700 yards, that is no joke. And we are going to have to force him into some situations to make Bad decisions or at least inconsistent throws. That is, yeah. I think, for me, I don't know if we can do it, but that's really number one. I'm less concerned with their pass rush and the hurries, honestly, because Burmeister's outside the pocket all the time anyway. Whether the pass yeah. rush is coming any is coming or not, he's half the time he's he's out the out of the pocket anyway, scrambling. So I'm kind of not that concerned um about that piece of it. So I, I that's I'm more focused really on how the heck we're gonna stop this offense. I think Waller's gonna have to have a great night. Um I'm assuming he's gonna be up against Addison. And with their depth, uh, it's more likely that they're gonna be able to bring guys in and stay fresh. And I'm I'm worried what they'll be able to do against our, our defense if if we start to get worn down.
0: Yeah, and I'm not so much worried about the corners because I actually think we're one of the teams that's better equipped in the ACC to match up with some of their wide receivers because we have strong, we have Waller and we yeah. have Chapman and they're all pretty good. The problem is, Pitt likes to expose your linebackers. Mm-hmm. We don't have Dax for the first half, and that you know that might end up working out because Dax isn't great in coverage anyway. So like, but he's still the best middle linebacker we have. Yeah. So. Whether it's Ferguson or Artis or whatever, Artis is probably not much better than Dax in coverage. Yeah. So uh, that is what makes me nervous. I think the corners and our safeties are are okay, and they, they actually will provide a very stiff challenge for Pickett. It's him picking on our linebackers is what I'm worried about. Yeah. I don't know what to do with the quarterback situation
1: and what we have in terms of depth and how healthy – I know Burmeister's good to go. I just don't know how healthy he is. And that's less of a strategy, more so an overall thought, is what he's going to look like out there. I still am confused why we didn't see Knox Kadum in the last game, uh, especially when we had the injuries moving around uh, and we put Blumrick in. But So it really just leaves me wondering how healthy we actually have uh, at our quarterback position right now. Uh, with Burmeister and what he's going to be able to do. And honestly, we keep people have started calling him Michael Brewer reincarnated uh, in a lot of ways, (laughs) but he doesn't want to slide. He doesn't, he doesn't want to just go down and take a sack. He doesn't want to take negative yardage and what that leads to. And I, and I can't hate on it because he has that much heart and he wants to win is he puts himself in positions where he's taking really serious shots, uh, and he's taking he's taking hits. And at
0: any moment, you just don't know when one of those hits is going to be it's going to be bad and it's going to trigger something yeah. for him. We definitely we need a contingency plan, and whether that's Knox Kadem running some different form of the offense or whatever he's comfortable with, or a, a third quarterback contingency plan with Taj Bullock. Like I don't know. I I like this team is. Seventh in TFL per game and eighth in sacks per game. Like they get after the quarterback. It's it, Burmeister's gonna be taking shots, and so let's hope there's a plan in place if the, if the worst does happen. But I I do think we'll be able to shake off the Notre Dame game decently well. I I, I know those guys were hurting. I, I read the articles and it sounded like a very despondent locker room. But if you remember. Uh, a couple years ago we lost to Notre Dame in one point devastating loss up in South Bend and i think the Wake Forest game was the very next weekend mm-hmm. and we came back at home and we we kicked their ass yeah. and uh, that was a good team you know to that point Jamie Newman had been talked about a lot great passer all this they came to lane and um we got the better of them i'm not saying that's what's going to happen this year we had Hooker as a quarterback. It was a little bit of a different team makeup. We had a different a different form of momentum going at that point that season than we have right now. We're kind of we need some juice. Yeah. Like we got like no juice right now and we're kind of playing scared. And I'm I'm not sure what's gonna happen, but I also know that it's the coastal and unlikely things tend to happen. And and when I say unlikely, I'm saying the line is pit minus five on the road. And so we're not supposed to win this game. Yeah. Like we're, we're not at this point. Like they are the better team on paper. They've been playing much better, but it doesn't mean we can't win. And the coastal is at stake. I mean, this, there's a lot of things at stake in this game, a lot of implications for our coach. And if he all of a sudden ends up at three and three, it's probably going to be a short future at Virginia tech. Like there is a lot of crap on the line.
1: Yeah, and that minus that minus 5 is probably more like on neutral field like a minus 7 um for this yeah. game given the home atmosphere and what what people have already saw, seen but I I there's pressure maybe at the coaching level the if you took out the context of it on the season though there should not be a lot of pressure on this particular game in my mind if I was going into it it's expected to win. If it was on neutral field, they'd be expected to win by almost a touchdown. Um, they have a quarterback that everybody has the stats to prove that they're playing lights out. They have good defensive stats. They have a great wide receiving core. This is a game where you could throw caution to the wind and really go out there and just try and win it. I just hope that the coaching staff and some of the stuff that's going on there doesn't try and, doesn't try and force it, or doesn't do anything stupid to to inhibit the team, um, like we've seen in a couple other games, being the Notre yeah. Dame and the WVU game.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, there is a a world where Fu is just like let's throw the kitchen sink at it and just play with reckless abandon, and it gets us the win. I mean, we and I, I draw on old comparisons just because I try to put myself in the fr- mind frame of that locker room and you know after that Duke game when we got blown out and we had to go on the road and play Miami like I didn't think there was any chance that Tech was going to go down there and get that win and they did. Yeah. And that's the thing is when this team is has their backs up against the wall how will they respond? I don't and past things don't necessarily have anything to do with what's about to happen and we're not changing our quarterback like we did when we went down to that Miami game. We you know We're not going from away to home, um, really trying to win a game we had no business winning with Quincy at quarterback in that other Notre Dame game, and then playing a wake team that was teetering. This Pitt team is playing at the top of their game. We just had a crushing loss. You can't let one loss get you two. Yeah. You have to try to shake it off and bounce back, like you were saying earlier. But uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be really tough. Pitt is a good team. And, um, I just probably the favorites in the clubhouse or in Vegas to go to the ACC championship game from our division. Cause Derek King just got shut down. UNC looks terrible and you know, no one else is really stepping up. So we haven't lost a game yet. We're right there. It, it can be our division or it can be Pitt's division. We can be the new favorites if we go out and win. Um, and I hope that we do. I, I really hope that we can pull off this, this win and that, you know, Burmeister can, can build on all those plays he made in the last game.
1: And I, I just to the point that you made, if you really look at the Fuentes coaching career and the, how the teams have played your point about the back against the wall, look just look at this season notre the notre dame game our back was against the wall we just lost our quarterback right and nobody knew burmeister was going to be able to come in his back was against the wall to make that run score that touchdown to even keep us in that game you look at the wvu game talk about having your back up against the wall you go back to the notre dame game you go back to the arkansas game you look at the opposite side of things—a Duke game that we're supposed to win, that we're heavily favored in, when we're, our backs are anything but against the wall, and we go out and lay an absolute egg. It's just, <laughs> it. If you, if you, I guarantee, if you go back and look at all the games and the position that you're really in in those games, I, I think this team tends to play better. I know all teams do, but I, I think statistically, we probably play a lot better when we have a chip on our shoulder and we just got smacked in the face or just took a tough loss and they have to regroup as opposed to when we play Richmond and we don't go out and, and <laughs> destroy so them.
0: Um, I think if you, it's a at- shame that Fuente has to get embarrassed in order for us to play well. Like look at ODU, right? We got embarrassed next weekend. We go down and beat a ranked Duke team yep. on the road, you know? So, like, why does that have to be the case? Like, why do we have to have a soul-crushing loss in order to get an important win? Well, I don't know, but I hope that it happens again. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do these picks real quick, and then we'll sign off because we've already been blabbering on here for a while. First game we're going to pick Clemson at Syracuse. Syracuse, 14.5-point underdogs in the Dome. They covered for me last week.
1: They did. I think I went six for eight for last week. I am on fire. I'm up to – Yeah, over, dude, you're scorching I'm hot. up over 60% on the year. Um, So I'm just going to stick with what I was doing. I'm just going to rattle them off. I'm going Syracuse here.
0: I'm going Syracuse as well. Next game, Duke at UVA. UVA, 10.5-point favorites at home. They had a nice comeback against Louisville and got a big win.
1: I am going UVA on
0: this game. I am too. I think we've, we've gone past the point in the season where or Duke's competitive. Miami at UNC. UNC just narrow three-point favorites against Miami at home. Talk about... I'm sorry. UNC's at home, but they're three-point favorites. The
1: two coastal favorites are both terrible teams right now. I'm going with UNC just because it's at home.
0: I'm going to go one last ride with UNC, too. They. I, I, I feel like I pick them wrong every single week. Next game, NC State at Boston College. BC three-point home dogs. I have... You probably would think I would pick BC here because
1: I've had two or three big wins picking BC this year on the spread. I'm going NC
0: State this week, though. Yeah, the, I don't trust NC State. I'm taking BC. Okay. The script. I, and I don't have a whole lot of rationale for that either. I think we're just going to go with it. Oklahoma State at Texas. Texas, six and a half, or sorry, five and a half point favorites at home. After blowing that lead against the
1: Oklahoma team that we keep saying is not uh, (laughs) deserving.
0: Right. Right, and I put this on there just because it's two ranked teams, and I I don't find the game particularly interesting, but it could be a good game. I I like Texas. I love their running back. I, I think they're solid, and I think that Oklahoma State is not that good, but the problem is Texas is coming off the most depressing loss ever, like how do they respond? Yeah,
1: that, do you have a that, that quarterback can... though for Oklahoma? Like played absolutely lights out to make that happen. That that one, that was unbelievable. So hopefully Texas, I have Texas in this game. They have to understand that that was just incredible. I did yeah,
0: no, I know it's just can they pick themselves up off the mat? Yeah. That's that's the thing oh five and a half i'm gonna take i'm gonna take OK state to cover i I don't love it i don't love it at all next game kentucky at georgia undefeated goliaths in the (laughs) sec going at it here georgia 23 and a half point favorites at home Uh, this would be a lot more fun if it was in lexington
1: yes i don't know whether to start treating georgia like alabama in most years the right now so, and maybe I should be, and I'm probably going to fall victim to what I normally don't do. So I'm going to go with Kentucky. I still think they get blown out of this game, but it's, they lose by, I don't know, 21. 21. <laughs> yeah. I think it can keep it within three touchdowns.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I, I think they could, but I thought that against Arkansas too know. with Georgia and they didn't at all. So I'm going to take Georgia. Yeah, and that'll do it. For but the Kentucky's picks. got their quarter. Their quarterback is good. Um, he's, they,
1: he's, he's the former right. Penn State quarterback, right? He was the backup, I think. That's at Kentucky right now. Levis. Yeah.
0: I, I you know I don't know off. The I'm top almost of positive. Yeah, I think I was listening okay. to about it today. He's good. He he's solid for sure. It's just that their offense. I mean, they got very lucky to beat Florida. They basically didn't win that game because of offense, and I don't know. I don't know, but maybe maybe that's what it takes to beat Georgia. Maybe you have to use your defense and special teams to win the game. So, that that could be a right pick. Um, All right, that's gonna do it. Depressing week last week. I'm hoping that you know we can start fresh in the ACC, get the win against Pitt, be two and zero, and hopefully have a shot and taking down the mighty Demon Deacons in the championship game. That would be that would be really fun. What a year. Um, but, yeah, I'm glad that you had a good time, too, because it's we have to remember, it's not just the outcome of the game that makes Blacksburg so great, and it, that is hard to remember sometimes.
1: Yeah, I was a little bit depressed, I will say, that my emotional low after the game wasn't that low, right? which, so if you want to take all your opinions, everything out, I'm a person now that's been doing, what are we, on our seventh year of doing this podcast? Yeah. Uh, pretty, you know, sizable donor for the the amount of money I make to the amount that I donate. And I walked out of the game thinking to myself, you know, that's kind of what I expected to have happen was uh, was losing. So, and I'm saying that not to skew anybody's opinion, just to be completely honest, like on the podcast where my mental state is about the program and maybe the coaching staff and everything is I kind of, I wasn't. You should see me. You know, when year years ago, how I would walk out of the stadium and be pissed off. And I honestly just kind of was like, yeah, I was. Like, I was expecting things to go that way, which is it's not a good sign.
0: It's beating us down, man. Yeah, because I, mean, I totally agree with you. Like a few years back, like that loss would have like smoked me until Wednesday. Yeah. You know, and and I'm, I, it's I'm just kind of numb to it yeah. at this point. Like I could feel it coming, like a like a. A soft wave washing over me, <laughs> at the <end>. a soft, <laughs> and, like a dark wave that just kind of comes over. It, it's right, kind of like, what it, it,
1: and it, it must be what it's like when you're dying, where like you <laughs> think it's really scary, but it just kind of like seeps over you, and it's right, actually right. pretty like calm, kind
0: of sad, and you're just kind of like, it's like a cold blanket of a wave, <laughs> like washing <laughs> over you, and you're just like, ah. But yeah, it's stunk, man. Yeah. Anyway, you can hit us on Twitter. It's at two DVT. At 2DVT on Instagram, check out the pictures. Robbie just posted. They were really cool. And then 2 the website. Stream all the podcast and check out all the beers that we've had over the years. And 2DVT on at gmail.com is where people have been hitting us up. We also got a, an email from was it Kyle? Yeah. I just wanted to. Uh and he had some opinions on how, you know, maybe the we shouldn't blame the coaches so much and all that kind of stuff. I don't really want to get into it, but we do appreciate the email and uh, you know, we'll, we'll respond in due time, but uh, thank you again for anyone that's hit us up on there. Make sure send us any comments or questions you have. Make sure we, we, we do read them. We, we read them all. So yep. just wanted to say that too. And until next time when hopefully we're celebrating a big win and two and in the ACC go Hokies.